0: two hundred and ninety nine episodes ago (gasps) look out oh no hurry up run down that alley jason (sighs) just got away from doing nothing for the rest of my life because i'm a big lazy bum what's this going through the garbage oh whoa it's a book on how to podcast then i'm at home doing music stuff not doing music stuff music's playing i'm typing in the computer podcast doing stuff and then hey everyone welcome back to another episode of dead rabbit radio oh, everyone's cheering yay people are carrying me down the street wow this podcasting thing sure is awesome and then the bad guys pound pounding the table oh we hate dead rabbit radio this podcast sucks he's he's too awesome and then it's like fast forward a couple episodes now we're on episode 250 and i'm like Meeting the president. Hello, Mr. President. This is a non-political podcast, so I'm not naming what administration this is. Shaking your hand, getting a medal. Yay. And then fighter jets. Flying after me. I'm running. I'm out running fighter jets. And then Mormon Bigfoot shows up. Me take you. Actually, it's more like Mungo. Mungo shows up. Me take you and hide you like a baby. I'll swaddle you. And then, like, I'm in a little baby bouncer. And then, um, (laughs) and then we're here. Episode 300. It's a cliffhanger. What happens to Mungo? Maybe Mungo and Mormon Bigfoot raise me as their child. We don't know. We'll find out on this episode. And yes, we will finally talk about the dimensional merge. Today on the 300th episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. <laughs> run, Mungo, run. Run as fast as can. Explosion. And then you see in this smoke. Dead Rabbit Radio, 300th episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Let's go ahead and get started here with our Patreons. we got two new Patreons today, and I'm noticing a very bizarre trend. Not that people aren't supporting my Patreon, but I have about like 34, 35 Patrons, Patrons. And one time I went to a bar, They're out of this fancy bar called the Elephant Bar in Sacramento. And I go in, had a bunch of money at the time. I walk into this bar with my buddy, Hal. I sit down and I order a shot. I'm looking at this menu and I go, I'll have the, the patron. And, she, and the, the waitress goes, you mean patron? And I look at her and I go, the only reason I ordered that one, because it's the only one I could pronounce on your menu. And she's like, but anyway, so our patrons, this is the new Conspiracy. William Thompson is my latest patry, patry, damn it, patron, whatever, he's my, he's my latest donator to my Patreon, I have 34 pa- patrons, and three of them are named Will, a statistical anomaly, I have a Will and then two Williams, it's very, very bizarre, now I just need a couple Billies and a few Bills and the conspiracy demons, thank you William for being part of the conspiracy and being part of the Patreon. And then we have Huge Whopping Penis. Thank you, Huge Whopping Penis. is what everyone says every single day. Thank you, Huge Whopping Penis. And thank you specifically for supporting the Patreon. I really, really appreciate all the support I'm getting. Whether it's on the Patreon or whether you guys are just help getting the word out about the show, I appreciate it very, very much. Now, let's go ahead and get started with the episode. I'm going to be totally frank with you guys. It's 11.40. I have been recording since... 10, Trying to do the dimensional merge story Yesterday I recorded For probably about an hour and a half Trying to do the dimensional merge story And Friday spent probably another hour Trying to record it, it The story doesn't work It doesn't work And you, I know a couple of you guys have been like Oh dude I'm so hyped for this episode And I'm like Lower your expectations Because here's the problem I've covered a lot of people on this show Like Hans The person who believes that monkeys aren't real Michael Milken, the person who believes he has hats that cure autism and will protect you from aliens. John Storm was a very early episode. He believes he's a super soldier the government created, and now he's the only thing that can destroy them. He actually found the show, by the way. I, don't, I think I mentioned that before. He found the show and was like, "Ah, oh, you government stoogie or something like that. I just didn't engage. Michael Milken found the show as well. I'm sure Hans has at this point, but... Noodles and Beef was the guy who was part of that giant muscle bound cult and things like that. Force Finn is another person we've covered. I've covered solo people before that I believe Force Finn's a bit different. Force Finn doesn't really belong in- with these other guys that I mentioned, but I've covered these people before and they have mentally ill beliefs. Believing that monkeys are fake and every monkey is a man in a suit or a puppet is a belief that a mentally ill person has. I honestly don't think that Hans is mentally ill. I think Hans is a rational human being with a delusional belief. When I was trying to tell the story of Chris Chan, Chris Chan, Christian Weston Chandler, now Christine Weston Chandler, it because uh, Chris is now a trans woman, but for decades, for the most of their infamy, was a uh, man. The story of Chris Chan, Chris is actually, by all accounts, suffers from some form of mental illness. At the very least, a very, very autistic person. And I wasn't having any fun recording it. I really wasn't having any any fun recording it. Because it's one thing to say, look at this person with this crazy belief. It's another thing to say, look at this person who, by their own account, suffers from severe autism. Let's make fun of this person. I I wasn't making fun of... Chris, I found it very dismal. I was just kind of listing weird things that Chris did. It wasn't fun. It was really boring. It was. It seemed borderline mean-spirited. And I just kept scrapping the episodes. Kept scrapping it. Now, we can still talk about the dimensional merge. That's something different. But I really don't want to go into who Chris Chan is as a person. It just wasn't something that fit the tone of the show. It really wasn't. So I I apologize. I hope you guys understand that rationale. And it may turn out that someone I've covered does actually suffer from a real mental illness. I feel bad about that. But again, I don't think that the other people I've covered are actually mentally ill. I just think they have bizarre or dangerous beliefs, or both. Chris Chan is honestly probably, and I think people who know about Chris, and I I feel bad that I'm just kind of glossing over a bunch of stuff, but I think people who know about Chris would agree that Chris is probably the most well-documented non-celebrity of modern times. So there's no lack of resources on Chris, but it just felt gross. It didn't really feel fun. But let's go ahead. We can still talk about the dimensional merge because even though that idea comes from Chris, it actually came from trolls who infiltrated Chris's brain because Chris is incredibly susceptible to any belief that is put in front of Chris. It was actually created by trolls, but anyways, I think the idea of the dimensional merge can be bigger than Chris, and I hope it can, so we're gonna go ahead, and I apologize for people who who were expecting me to just rip on this mentally ill kid for a half hour, it just didn't have any, I didn't like doing it. it, it was not the tone of the show, and it was just an info dump, and it was just boring, I have at least, at least, four or five hours of starts and stops trying to tell that story, so... We're going to use that as a launching point. I'm explaining all that stuff. We're going to use it a launching point. Let's talk about what the Dimensional Merge is, though. Because it's honestly something... Because, again, I did my due diligence and I kept researching a bunch. I've been following the story of Chris Chan for almost 11 years at this point. But we, The Dimensional Merge is something that other people actually believe in. So what is the Dimensional Merge? The Dimensional Merge is this. It's kind of a fascinating idea. That the fictional worlds out there are real. And it's, a, it's an idea that I think people believe in as children. So when you're watching a cartoon, kids are stupid, right? When you're watching a cartoon, as an adult, you understand that that cartoon is fake. But children can't tell the difference between what is real and what is fake. And that's usually a key indicator of how functional a human brain is. Because by the time you're an elementary school student, or especially when you're an adult, you should know the difference that Bugs Bunny isn't real, even though we cover an episode that Bugs Bunny may be real. What what do we find so fascinating about the fictional worlds? Like, we, you know for a fact, and I know for a fact, that Star Wars is not real. But if someone came to you and said, you know those are documentaries, right? Like, those stories actually happen. Would it give you... First off, you'd be like, you mean there really is a Kylo Ren and and all that stuff and the sequels happen? And they're like, yeah, yeah, totally true. You're like, "Ah." Luke Skywalker fell and hit his head on a bunch of rocks and died. They're like, that's not really what happened, Jason. Watch the movie. But, yes, all that stuff would happen. You, it, it, would it make your appreciation for fiction higher or lower? There are some people who argue that. It doesn't have to be real for it to be more entertaining. But I would say that if you knew for a fact that Spider-Man was real somewhere out there, that would make things more exciting, more amazing, right? And that's kind of the idea of the Dimensional Merge. And there are a lot of people who believe that the fictional world is real. And you go, Jason, are you sure about that? Okay, so as I was researching all this stuff and trying to avoid recording more stuff about Chris, I came across some interesting stuff. Let's go to Gay Street. Let's hop on the Carpenter Copter. We're flying to a real place. I don't know if it's still called Gay Street. It would be hilarious (laughs) if it was. But Gay Street, New York City. We're going to New York City. Gay Street NYC. There's a ghost there known as the Gay Street Ghost, which, again, is awesome. If I ever become a ghost, I hope I'm a hilariously named ghost, like the Underwear Bandit or something like that. I guess I don't have to be a ghost to have that nickname, but I hope that my specter is a, like a cool name, like the Teddy Bear. I don't know, the Teddy Bear Bandit. You don't need to be a ghost to be Teddy Bear Bandit either. I just hope it's something awesome. If I was like the Chex Mix ghost, that'd be really boring. I'm just haunting your bowl of disgusting cereal. Anyways, Gay Street Ghost. There was this sightings of this ghost on Gay Street. The Gay Street Ghost, he was a seen as a tall gentleman, a tall man in formal clothes. So he has a little top hat, a little tie, jacket. You guys know what a formal person looks like. And he had a black cape and a cane. And he was sighted walking around Gay Street, right? He is spotted around this area. Now, there was a paranormal researcher investigating the Gay Street ghost. And he ends up making a bizarre discovery. He talks to some people who used to live in the area. And they're like, it was two dudes. Walter Gibson and Ed Burkholder lived in that area, right? And he's talking to them. He's like, yeah, you know, I've been seeing this ghost walk around. He described it. And Walter and Ed look at each other. And they go, oh, that's weird. Because when we lived on Gay Street, we created the character known as the Shadow. Fictional character. The Shadow knows that old movie with Alec Baldwin, which actually had some interesting ideas in it. The movie itself wasn't that great, but... They said we created this character named the Shadow, and who you're describing... He was a, basically a Batman-type character. He was a vigilante. But the way they were describing the Gay Street ghost matched up perfectly to the Phantom's crime-fighting garb. So were they inspired by the ghost? Was the ghost... A tulpa of the shadow? Let's go ahead and meet an old dude, an old guy, who you may know. His name is Alan Moore, very, very famous comic book author. He created the character John Constantine. He worked, his comic, the comic book was called Hellblazer. He created the comic book character John Constantine. He said that one day he was sitting in a bar in England, drinking a pint, looking around the bar, and a man walks down the stairs in the bar. And Alan Moore's sitting there, and he's like, like, freezes as he's drinking his beer. And he looks, and it's John Constantine. And he said, John Constantine was based on the the character. John Constantine was based on the singer Sting. And he goes, first, I thought it was Sting. It looked exactly like Sting. But then I realized it was John Constantine walking down the stairs of this bar. And he looked over at me, and he gave me a knowing smile, and then rounded the corner. And I sat there with my pint. And I thought, should I follow him? And then I go, nah, better leave well enough alone. So you have two people who've created these fictional characters. Both show up in real life. We have someone else who worked on the Hellblazer comic book. This guy's name is... Did I write it down? Yes, I did, because I'm prepared. Dave McKean also worked on Hellblazer. He was walking through an airport one day, right? And he saw a girl that looked exactly like death. Now, not that she looked like she was about to die. Death was a character that was created by Neil Gaiman. Maybe it wasn't created by Neil Gaiman. Definitely popularized by Neil Gaiman. But very, very small, pale, gothic girl who was the personification of Death in these... Um, it wasn't image. It was a comic book imprint. I don't, Vertigo, Vertigo. So he sees her walk by him in an airport. And he's like, that's weird. And then he hears that near the terminal where he saw her walking by, someone had just died on the airplane. So he always thought that that was death leaving the airplane because then he says he turned around and he couldn't see her anymore, like she vanished. Now, that story is completely ridiculous because this airport that he was at was in San Diego and he was there for Comic-Con. So it was most likely a cosplayer, but he seems to think that this was actually comic book character come to life. This one's the weirdest one of the bunch, though. If you thought all that stuff was just kind of a weird combination of things, this one was really odd. In 1970s, there's a comic book author named Doug Monek. And he wrote for the Planet of the Apes comic book. You're starting to, see a, starting to see a weird parallel here, right? We'll get into that in a second. He's writing the Planet of the Apes comic book, right? And he had just got done writing this scene where there's this bad ape named Brutus who pulled a gun out and stuck it to a woman's head. And the ape was, in the comic books, wearing this big black cloak. So he's writing this comic book, and he's like, oh yeah, this will be awesome. So Brutus pulls out this old revolver, and I'll blow your brains out, girl, and puts the gun to the girl's head, and right when he gets done writing that part, he hears his wife scream, and he immediately jumps up from his bench, his table, his desk, that's the word I'm looking for, he jumps up from his desk, and he runs into the other room, and what he sees is something in a black cloak, holding his wife in a headlock, pushing a gun against her temple. Here's this quote that Doug had. It was exactly what I had written. It it, it was so, so immediate in relation to the writing and such an exact duplicate of what I had written that it became an instant altered state. The air in the room congealed, became almost like a fog, and yet, paradoxically, I could see with greater clarity. I could see the individual threads of his black hood. It really does make you wonder. Are you seeing the future? Are you creating a reality? Should you give up writing forever after something like that happens? I don't know. For years after that, Doug had severe writer's block. Because the question always was, is what I'm writing true? I write. I don't write as much as I used to, obviously, because I'm doing the podcast. And there is a... I'm going to give a tip to you guys out there who are writers... You know you're on to something. You know your characters click when they don't do what you want them to. It's a very, very weird thing. I learned this trick, or I learned this lesson a long time ago. If your characters are fully fleshed out, and you want them to do something in a plot that your characters would not do, either they won't do it, or the plot completely falls apart. It's a very, very bizarre thing. So... It kind of gives them the sense that they are real independent people. And we can put so much brain power into the fictional world. Sometimes we may spend more time in a fictional world than we spend in our own world, really. And a lot of times they bleed over. A lot of times they bleed over. There was this study done by Durham University. They said one fourth of people reading books, when they're done reading the stories that they're really involved in, can hear the characters' voices in everyday events. They walk into a Starbucks and they hear a "Ahoy, matey" and they look over and there is Captain Ahab serving coffee, which is actually where Starbucks is from. I don't a lot of people aren't aware of that. That's why they have the mermaid. Starbucks was a character who's constantly drinking coffee during Moby Dick. That's where that name's from. So, people will hear vo- have audio hallucinations of fictional characters while they're out doing other stuff. Because you get so engrossed in the novel. The question is 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 fiction actually true? And the dimensional merge is not just these thing. I'm coming back to, this. the dimensional merge is not just these things kind of intruding in real life, but it's actually the doomsday of reality, because the theory is that, and we're taking it to the extremes now, to the extreme, we're taking it to the point where the fictional worlds actually collide with our world, so Chicago becomes not only Gotham City, but every fictional version of Chicago possible. And it would cause this huge cataclysm and this we're going back to the christian theory here it causes this massive cataclysm that'll kill millions of people only bad people though and then good people will be available to hang out with all of their favorite characters fictional characters luke skywalkers walking around darth vader superman uh mickey mouse whatever it'll just be in this huge world which to me sounds like hell i talked about how much I will enjoy the character of the Joker, but how I would never want to exist in the same city as him. That's basically this times 10. Because every fictional possibility is automatically now available on Earth. Which makes me wonder about all like the Cthulhu mythos, because all that stuff's going to show up as well. But yeah, it's just a lot of people. So that's back to them. That's kind of wrapping up the dimensional merge part. You guys are like, that took you three days? I was like, yeah, that's what you get for three days. Try not hyping it up. The dimensional merge, I think, is an interesting idea that the two realities will collide. I think it's a more interesting and more likely idea that these things are constantly impeding, or not impeding, interrupting our lives, these little things. You know, going back to the thing as me as a writer, ever, and this is going to probably be super revealing about myself, but when I was 12 years old, I created a fictional, I was you know, writing, I created a fictional world where it was this alien planet... Where there was one dude, which was a self-insert for myself, obviously I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's one dude, and everyone else was a woman. It was basically a it was an alien race. They're humanoids, but they didn't have males. It was a genetic anomaly; someone would be born a male. It was all women that could breed with other women. They were called the Skrin. It was this completely warlike, brutal race. The, the time that the boy shows up, whose name was Jason, of course. I was 12, okay? I was 12. See, I can't. I, instead of making fun of Chris, let's we'll make fun of myself for a bit, be self-revealing. Twelve years old, came up with this story. There's this race of aliens called the Skrin. It's all women. This young boy, and by the they're this completely warlike race. And by the time that Jason shows up. They've basically gotten mired in petty political squabbles and they're traitors and stuff like that. And Jason shows up and is a great pilot. Of course, he's really good mechanically, which is funny because I'm not good at either of those things. And he ends up causing all of this chaos and throws the Empire back into this brutal warlike state, i.e. the way it should have always been. And I told this story to every night I would tell myself this story is basically my own bedtime story. And I have this storyline carry on. And I did it from probably about like 12, I wouldn't say every night, but a lot of, probably about 12 to 17, 18. I was building this mythos. I was telling this story. And occasionally I would write stuff down. I would either write notes or actually write short stories in this world of the screen. And then fast forward maybe like 10 years ago, something like that. And I stopped doing it for years and years and years. I came up with another story, which was more like grounded in reality. But it was the same thing. I would basically tell myself a bedtime story chapter by chapter every night. Probably about 10 years ago, I thought, maybe not even that, I think it was actually only five years ago, I said, I'm going to do a, a gritty retcon, I'm going to do a gritty retcon of the screen, I'm going to start that story over from the beginning, but now as an adult having a different viewpoint, I'm going to see where this story takes me, and so I did, I started the story back off with little Jason, I didn't change the name, Little Jason being born into this world, and it was the same thing. It was actually the the idea of them devolving to a merchant class. That came out of the second version. The original version, I think they were just a a warlord-type class, but there was no reason for why they stopped invading. Because, again, I had the mentality of a 12-year-old. Just people did stuff. When I retconned it, everyone had whole new motivations. The characters were far more fleshed out. And I've been telling myself that bedtime story again for years. It's it's kind of just a cool saga for me. And I can look back and go, oh, yeah, like this is where book one would end. This was a perfect ending point where they just wiped out all these pirates and stuff like that. But going back to my original thing, I've gotten to the point in the story where I've kind of hemmed myself in because all of the characters have grown so much and I know where I want the story to go, and sometimes I'll lay down to go to sleep, and I'm like, chapter 27, book 8. And I'll go to tell the story, and the characters just stand there. Like, I can't... I've I put them in... I've I've set them up to a point where the characters are all at such an impasse with each other that they don't do anything. So I know that I've put them... Because the characters are so... This is what's so bizarre. The characters are so fully fleshed out that when Sarah and Jason, who are bitter rivals are now face to face, they just stand there. It's fat. It's so fascinating because they have this huge, like, will they or won't they type relationship? You know, what's really weird about the story too, is you think it would be wish fulfillment, but the Jason in the story gets crapped on (laughs) 10 times more than I ever have in real life. It's very bizarre. And the Jason in the story is very like, I have no friends. Nobody cares about me. If I could, I would leave all of this behind. But I can't. And in the real world, I'm like, dude, everything's awesome. It's fascinating. I almost feel that I would like to fly a spaceship and blow stuff up. But that fictional character would love to sit in a living room and do a podcast and be done With everything else. Not a happy-go-lucky person at all. It's very bizarre that that's the fictional, that's my Mary Sue. It's someone who's miserable all the time. Even though surrounded by all this sci-fi technology. But yeah, they'll just sit. I'm at this point in the story where they're actually sitting on a balcony. And I've been stuck in that part of the story for probably like two or three months. And I've thought, should I retcon it again? And I was like, no, there has to be an ending to this story. So to go to Doug's point, like, is it is somewhere out there in the galaxy these characters sitting on a balcony? Like, am I channeling this? Which I, I don't really believe that, but that's a, that's, a feasible, that's a feasible answer for the whole thing. Are you channeling these fictional worlds? Or are they just so well-crafted that when you're trying to get a character to do something out of... Like, Jason would never... Jason would never do something completely immoral. So if I ever wanted the character to do something like that, the character would simply freeze Jason has blown up blew up a solar system once to win a battle and killed like three billion people, but didn't mean to. Just trying to create a black just trying to create a black hole to stop a fleet. There was just happened to be a planet in the way. But it, if the character was like, I don't care, I'll kill everyone on that planet just to stop this fleet. That part of the story wanted to happen is fascinating. the The idea of creating things is fascinating. So I bought, I get that idea. But there have been, I'm very, very reluctant to kill off characters in my stories too. There's a spoiler alert. If you ever buy a book written by me, don't expect anyone to die, because I do have this weird empathetic thing where I'm like, if I kill this character off, their story ends. Like if I kill off Sarah, or if I kill off Emily or if I kill off Cleo, or if I kill off Rebecca, or any of these other characters in this story, then they're gone. And I don't, even in the fictional universe, when they die, they just kind of go to the Southern dimension and they chill. Cause I hate the idea of losing people. So even in my own, like, I can't accept death, even of fictional characters, but I get, I get the allure of, of believing that fiction is real. I don't believe that the Scrin are real. I hope they're not. They're actually quite brutal and they destroy planets. They create black holes to win battles. But yeah, it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating story. It, it's it, it's tragic that it's wrapped up in the story of Chris Chan, which again, is just a mentally ill person who's being abused by hundreds and possibly thousands of people on the internet. Because that's just kind of sad. And I of course, I to <laughs> bring it back to that. But that's the story of the dimensional merge that I'm sure that came off super rambly. I'm sure that came off super rambly. But I wanted to tell those stories. I wanted to talk about the dimensional merge cuz I said I was going to talk about it. And I wanted to tell those really cool stories about artists meeting their own characters. That's kind of bizarre. And I wanted to talk about this. And I wanted to talk about this. Episode 300. 300 episodes, guys. Like there that's longer than a lot of sitcoms have lasted. Now I know a lot more work goes into sitcoms or television in general, but uh, 300 episodes, I'm 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 never one to not say I'm proud to do it. I mean, I know that comes off as boastful. But um, couldn't have done it without you guys. Really couldn't have done it without you guys. Um, I don't think you... I don't. I don't know if you guys really can understand how much this show has changed my life. Like, doing this show has given me so much joy. It gets tiring sometimes. But never frustrating. I'm never mad. Never upset I have to record an episode. Sometimes I feel like I am tired, but I do it, and um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the research. I enjoy presenting the stories. I wish I was more ahead on my research. That's probably my biggest regret with this show is the day-to-day struggle sometimes to find the stories. But that's a Jason thing. If I had spent, if I spend more time, that's, I haven't been playing Minecraft recently because I've been focusing more on doing the research. I need to have a dedicated time to do Minecraft. But, but so that's dedicated time to Minecraft. But I need, once I get, when I, I have a good week when all my stories are ready to go. When I have all my stories researched and ready to go. That's what I really enjoy. But I don't think you guys, I don't think I've ever really imparted on you guys how important this show is to me and how important you guys are to me. Cause it's a community. It's amazing. Like before, I started doing the show, and I talked about this. I think on my Christmas episode last year that I was just kind of walking. I wasn't happy through life. I was just kind of moving through life, and I was uh, trying to be an author, and I wasn't putting out as much stuff as I had as I needed to to be a successful author. And I started this podcast on a whim. Wasn't really planned. I kind of had it in the back of my mind, and I just went home one day and recorded the first episode, Volcanoes and Talking Critters, and here we are 300 episodes later. Still doing it. But I don't want to take this time to just brag about the show, or to brag about you, what great fans you are. Because you guys are really awesome. You guys are really great. The the interaction, I know I don't respond to emails super fast, so I apologize for that, but I do read them all. I read all the emails. You guys are awesome. You guys are great. And I want to I want to I want to challenge you guys. 300 episodes. That's about 70 some odd weeks cuz I take a week off every 50 episodes. 70 weeks roughly. If you had asked me 70 weeks ago, "Hey man, you think you're going to do a podcast that's going to have a ton of listeners, people sending you in fan art, people talking to you all the time, sending you stories, sending you words of support?" And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Get out of my way. I'm walking home. I'm walking home to sit and watch YouTube videos for six hours and then be sad that I didn't accomplish anything that day. But here we are. Where will you be in 70 weeks? I know where I'm going to be in 70 weeks. Episode 600. Barring any sort of huge catastrophe, episode 600. I do not plan on quitting the show unless absolute tragedy strikes. Episode 600. That's where we're going to be in 70 weeks. And 70 weeks from now, I want you there with me. Not just a listener of the show. I want you, 70 weeks from now, to be 70 weeks more advanced in what you want to do. I want you to take this next 70 weeks, these next 300 episodes, to push yourself to become the better you. I'm the better me than I was. July 2019. That was this year, never mind. I'm was the. i a better self now than I was in July 2018. Absolutely. I feel better. I feel more alive. I have a passion that is shared with others. And I want you to have that feeling too. It might not be anything super dramatic. It might not be that you've written a novel, but it may. It may not be that you've started a podcast, but it may. It may be something simple, but something that you know... You need to do, do it. Take this time period and take this journey with me and do it. Those 70 weeks are going to pass whether or not you work towards your goal. That's just the way time is. But you can either look back when the 600th episode of Dead Rabbit Radio comes out and you can say, you know what? I went on a journey. I stumbled a couple times, but I went on a journey and I'm a better person now than when I heard episode 300. And kick back, smile on your face, and look at those past weeks and know you took that journey with me. Or you cannot. But those 70 weeks will pass whether or not you work towards what you want or you do nothing. But take this journey with me, please. I know, and it's really funny to admit this, but I know that this show is passive entertainment. A lot of you guys listen to the show while you are doing something else. Driving or writing or drawing or doing homework. And I actually find that hilarious and fascinating because the amount of work I put into the show and then people are are listening to it as they're driving, I, I, I don't mind being passive entertainment. I love white noise. I love passive entertainment myself. When I listen to podcasts, I'm listening to them, but I'm always doing something else. And you can't really do that when you're reading or drawing or that's that's main entertainment. I like being passive entertainment. So let me be that passive entertainment on your journey or not. You listen to anything else. You listen to other podcasts, We're Alive or Wolverine, The Long Night. There's tons of other podcasts out there. Recommend both of those. But let's go on this journey. Let's take this path because I don't know about you. But this next year, for me, is going to be the best one yet. I know that for a fact. So I want you to be on that journey with me. Because as far as I'm concerned, this next year is my best year ever. And then the next one will be even better than that. But this next year is the start of that. I don't care what the Chinese say. This next year is the year of the rabbit. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at Facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbit. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. But I'm so, so glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.